Today's episode of Rob as a Podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Casper, because as we're talking about why the latest player lost Survivor, you never have to worry about losing another night of sleep when it's so easy to get your hand on a Casper mattress. Casper mattresses are made with two types of technology, latex foam and memory foam, which come together for better nights and brighter days. Casper sends you a great big box that your mattress is in. They cut out the middleman out of mattress buying so they can work directly with you and get you the best prices for an outstanding mattress. They've got a risk-free trial and return policy. You could sleep on a Casper mattress for 100 days with free delivery and painless returns. All the mattresses are made in America. They're obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. Just 500 for a twin size mattress, 950 for a king. Compare that to industry average and you'll see it's an outstanding price point. So go ahead and check out our link and get $50 towards any mattress purchased by visiting www.casper.com slash Rob. Use the promo code Rob. That's casper.com slash Rob. Use promo code Rob. Save $50 off a Casper mattress. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Rob Sisterino back here to talk about why the latest player voted off, lost the game, and that would be Liz Markham, the third person out of Survivor Call Wrong. And with me every week, to talk about what went wrong for them, the great creator of Reality News Online, David Bloomberg. Hello. Hello. How are you? Doing very good, David. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm, I'm podcasting one-handed today. Yeah. Why? What's going on? I had surgery on my left hand the day before episode three aired. Uh, I tried to get it all done before the season, so I had my right hand done You know, prior to that so I could at least still take notes. Yes. But uh, the left hand had to wait, and... Uh, see, the problem was that my fingers weren't following my third rule. <laughs> yeah, they were they not being refused, flexible. That's right. They refused to stay flexible. They were getting locked in. So I had to bring them in line. Well, David, I'm also very happy to hear that you did not have to get medically evacuated from this podcast. That's well, you know, the podcast is just beginning. So there is still the chance. But just in case I have fluids in case I get dehydrated. Okay, great. Great to hear. <laughs> Anyway, so David is back to talk about all of his survivor rules, uh, which he has written, which the survivors should adhere to if they want to have success in the show. And if they somehow do have success in the show and violate David's rules, that he will add addendums to them like the Constitution. That's right. That's right. But we have to vote on them and it has to go through a whole, you know, the House of Congress and everything. else. Yeah, a lot of red tape that goes on. Right, right. All right. So, David, overall, what is your feeling on the season three episodes in? I think it's uh, pretty good. It's looking good. Uh, I do have to say, I feel like Survivor may be getting a little defensive about what they call blindsides, because last week we talked about the show making the claim that it was a blindside when it Total clearly wasn't side. true. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, but this week they posted a link to one of Liz's pre-tribal council confessionals, and it had the description. Here's the proof. Elizabeth definitely didn't see last night coming. <laughs> and that's the, that's the voice you have to read it in, too. Uh, it, I mean, in this case, they were right. Yes. But, you know, it, it sounds like they're being paranoid about it. If, if they would just call it like it is instead of every time trying to make it sound like a blindside, they wouldn't have to be so defensive. Yeah. <laughs> So you think that that video should have been titled like, you see, David, it is a blind side. <laughs> that's right. That's right. They see do. Bloomberg? Happen, so there. 
that might have been a little too personal. Okay, so uh, we will see as the blind sides continue to mount up uh, if they are actual factual blind sides or actual crapsual blind sides. That's right, right. Okay. So, so also last week you talked about the Twitter press conference after each episode airs. Yes. So Jason heard the podcast and he offered me a better seat for questions. Oh, yeah. And and then it turned out that he wasn't really involved this time. So, you know, I was like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? What happened? Well, because he wasn't involved in the vote. So he didn't have. Uh, no, I his... got that part. What happened oh, okay. on Twitter? <laughs> oh, nothing, nothing. It's just that uh, there wasn't there wasn't uh, as much to ask him since he was not the voting party. Okay, but you ha- now have priority access? Uh, apparently so. I-, I got a better seat. He moved me up. Okay, good. That's good to hear <laughs> that you your press credentials are uh, getting you in more and more places so we That's... can get more and more information here on this podcast. Okay, so David, let's start to talk about Liz and uh, what ultimately was her downfall in the game. What were your thoughts coming into talking about her in this conversation? Well, we're not going to be able to use Twitter quite as much this time because three of the brain's majority are definitely less active. But Neil's always putting out some funny tidbits uh, about things we didn't get to see. And we do have some good material both on the show and in secret scenes. So I do think that there's plenty of information for us to use as we figure out why Liz lost. As we try to piece together the puzzle of what was the ultimate problem for her. Okay, so anything else you want to set up before we get into rule number one? Nope. Rule number one is scheme and plot. Okay, for Liz, who came into this game as a reference from Stephen Fishback, any reference of Stephen that can is worth their salt must be able to scheme and plot, right? Yes, that's true. She she was clearly scheming and plotting. And yeah, she probably learned of the need to do that from Stephen or, you know, maybe from listening to you, too, because she listened to a lot of you on the podcast, she said. Uh, and, and she jumped right into it. But there were several problems about the way she went about it. The main issue was that she and Peter believed that they were the king and the queen of the tribe and knew how everyone else would act, think and ultimately vote. In the past two weeks, we've been talking about the Braun tribe and the way Jason seemed to know everything that went on in that tribe, to the point that I dubbed him King Jason last week. Liz and Peter thought they were in that situation, but they had it all wrong. You know, one thing that Liz said she and Peter had in common was they felt they could talk to each other about long-term game strategy, such as endgame and midgame. Unfortunately, they must have skipped over the beginning game because it seems like she and Peter were so caught up in looking ahead that they missed what was going on around them. They were actually both thinking along similar lines to the prediction I made at the end of last week's podcast. I had said I was worried about Neil if brains went to tribal council because there appeared to be a schism between him and Joe with most people looking like they would side with Joe. But what we hadn't known and apparently neither did Peter and Liz, even though they were there, was that Joe had grown to like Neil, which Joe told us about in a secret scene confessional. And then Neil even agreed with that sentiment on Twitter shortly after the episode, saying that his geriatric comment was taken out of context and that while he and Joe did get off to a rough start, they came together. Right. Maybe we should have seen this coming considering Neil's fondness for Uncle Larry. That's right. That's right. Now he has a new Uncle Joe. (laughs) Yeah. That Neil gets along good with the older generations. (laughs) So as it turns out, Joe was getting along with most of the people, too. He said he likes Aubrey and Debbie, which means Aubrey is in good with 
you know, both Neil and Joe and Joe and Debbie are tight. And so you've got this foursome all coming together there. So that was a good call by you in the predictions where you said that you felt like Neil could be the person to go home because if it hadn't been for that damn meddling Debbie getting involved with trying to overthrow the Liz and Peter administration, that that would have been what happened. Well, that's definitely possible. Now, what's interesting is in a secret scene, Aubrey told us she and Neil were trying to get Joe and Debbie to vote out Liz. And then meanwhile, like you said, Debbie wanted Liz gone and Joe was happy to go along with it. So there was some sort of synchronicity going on there. Both duos came to the same conclusion and compared notes. Yeah. But Liz apparently missed this whole coming together of two thirds of her tribe because she said in interviews that she saw a lot of tension between Joe and Neil, which helped make her feel like Joe and Debbie would be happy to get rid of Neil. Mm -hmm. She just didn't read the room well. Uh, as further evidenced by Liz saying in confessional that if she were to get voted out, she would give them credit for being excellent actors and strategists for concealing it. I would say that at one point there probably was tension between Joe and Neil that we had from last week's episode. There was the whole business about the kerosene and Joe knocked over the kerosene and Neil felt like Joe used too much kerosene. But sometimes people get over stuff. Yeah, but she didn't see what you said, that they got over it and they were coming back together. And it wasn't just the overall feeling of the tribe, but the individual players as well. You know, Liz talked to Debbie enough that she felt she knew exactly where Debbie stood, but she didn't. Liz really misread Debbie when she said Debbie doesn't have it in her to make a big move. She further explained in a confessional that she was watching the internal dynamics of the tribe and she would put it at a one in 25 chance of Joe or Debbie working with Neil and Aubrey. Wow. Whoop. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of a whoops there. Uh, you know, 4% at, chance. Yeah. Well, it, you know, sometimes those 4% chances come true. Yeah. And as Debbie said about Liz, she is absolutely oblivious to the reality of what's going on here. And that was the case. Now, I'm not sure if it was a cause or an effect of misreading the tribe that Peter and Liz thought they ruled the land. But when you scheme and plot, you have to take into consideration the fact that other players should be doing it as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that means you can't assume you have the only brains in the brains tribe. Just because you think someone is a goat doesn't mean they're just going to bleat along happily with you. So on know-it-alls and in his blog, Stephen talked about how Peter and Liz used language that showed they were treating the others as sheep or clay or pawns, not actual human beings whose needs and wants need to be taken into consideration. Stephen continued that if you don't think about your opponents as threats, you can be lulled into careless thinking. And we saw specific examples of that, such as Peter saying, Liz and I are both smart people and we've thought about everything, which they clearly hadn't. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not sure if it was a cause or effect. Did Peter and Liz think they were in command and therefore discount everyone? Or did they look around and not realize what was going on around them, thus making themselves feel like royalty? Yeah. Either way, they did become oblivious. And because of that, the other tribe members felt like they were being told what to do and how to vote rather than being treated as partners in the decision. We saw at least three examples of this. After the Debbie and Liz discussion by the well, Debbie said Liz wanted her to follow orders like a good soldier. Now, personally, I didn't see Liz acting as bossy as 
Debbie made it out to be. But that was probably just one part of a bigger discussion. And Debbie clearly took it that way, which can be all that matters in these sorts of personal interactions. As a second uh, example, we saw Peter lecturing Aubrey on how she needs to communicate with him and Liz better, Mm -hmm. leading to Aubrey telling us how controlling Peter is. And then the third case, Liz gave a confessional on the show that was indicative of the way she was dealing with the other players. She was being too egotistical with her comments that they would tell Debbie and Joe to vote Neil so it wouldn't be anything too complicated, as if they couldn't handle complex instructions. Come on, Liz, you're not dealing with Keith Nail here. They would have been perfectly capable of sticking with the plan. (laughs) Now, in this case, they ended up creating their own plan instead. Yeah, different plan. They did stick to it. Right, right. So, you know, to sum up, Liz was indeed scheming, but the others, by her own admission, did a better job of it. So we established that Liz was scheming and plotting. Rule number two is don't scheme and plot too much. Would you say that this was that Liz did scheme and plot too much or that she was scheming and plotting but not enough? Uh, Too much and... She also violated another part of the rule because she clearly did not keep her scheming secret. And we know this because we had Debbie telling us that Liz and Peter would slit anyone's throat in this game in a split second. And we also had Aubrey telling us in a secret scene the same thing about Liz wanting to vote out everyone there except Peter, as well as saying Liz was the biggest schemer. Now, We know a player is supposed to try to get rid of everyone else. That's kind of the point of the game. But you're not supposed to let other people know you're doing it. Mm -hmm. The problem was that Peter and Liz were making it all too obvious. During the tribe portion of the game, you have to at least pretend that you're all about the team, even though everyone should know that's not really true. Mm -hmm. So the way I see it, it's kind of like when two quarterbacks are competing for the starting spot on the roster. Yes. When one doesn't get it, He usually tells the press he's happy to contribute and do what's best for the team. But we all know what he's really thinking is he hopes the other guy gets knocked out of the game so he can show his stuff. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That's right. You get you get football hints here, too. (laughs) Yeah. Now, hold on. Do you know that from a fact from when you interviewed Gary Hogaboom in Survivor Guatemala? (laughs) I did not ask that question. Um, So anyway, what made it worse was that. The two of them, Peter and Liz, were obviously a solid duo. And we've talked about this before. Joining openly with another person is always dangerous. Spending all your time scheming with that other person is exponentially worse. So not only did they fail to keep their scheming secret, but as mentioned at the beginning of this rule, they were clearly doing too much of it. Debbie said in a secret scene that she was initially drawn to Peter and Liz, but all the whispering and conniving and scheming got old. And it's clear that's what they were doing. Stephen mentioned it, and then you and Amy discussed it more during the voicemail show. Liz and Stephen talked about the mid game and the end game, which were the same topics that Liz was talking to Peter about. Looking that far ahead without worrying about what's going on around you certainly falls into the category of scheming and plotting too much. But wait, there's more. Mm hmm. Not only were they scheming too much and too openly around camp, but they took that with them to tribal council. Now, admittedly, it was mostly Peter. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But by this point, Liz was so closely associated with Peter that she could have suffered for it if the plan hadn't already been screwed from the start. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about when Peter called out Neil and told him that Neil's plan would not be the one at work in tribal council. That was pretty ballsy or pretty stupid or 
both. Uh, and Peter went on to explain the whole plan for voting him out. Not only was this egotistical, but it was also really dumb if they believed that he might have the idol, which they did indeed think. Mm -hmm. So it was flat out telling him to play it. Yeah. Now, they had a backup plan, and Aubrey would have been voted out instead under that plan, but their real target was Neil. So Peter should have shut up about it and let Neil feel safe in case he had the idol. Wait, hold on, though. So if you're saying that it was Peter trying to get Neil to play the idol then wouldn't you say then what Peter was saying was a smart move? Or you're saying that because then by Peter saying, well, your plant isn't going to work, expecting that Neil is going to play the hidden immunity idol. So would that then, that that bluff, would that then get Neil to not play the hidden immunity idol? And wouldn't that be a really ballsy thing for Neil to do if he had the hidden immunity idol and was going to play it? I don't think that was Peter's goal. I'm not entirely sure because why. maybe we're not giving Peter enough credit here if he's trying to get Neil to flush the idol. Yeah, you didn't see the face I just made when you said not giving Peter enough credit. Look, here. David, uh, I just think it's <laughs> important that we explore all these possibilities here because we don't know everything. And I think that at least uh, gives us some plausible deniability when we look stupid at week after week <laughs> to entertain these ideas. Well, we could entertain them, but I don't see what Peter gains by any of that because, okay, let's for a moment, you know, consider if Neil had the idol. Okay. After the way that tribal council went down, he would have been an idiot to not play it. Right. And Peter believes that he has the 2-2-2 vote split going. So then he's able to flush Neil's idol. And then ultimately, if Neil's the target, get him out of the game. I feel like that almost makes me feel like that Peter, who I had no idea what he was doing, I thought he came off really bad at that tribal council. At least this is something that explains his actions at that tribal council. But if Neil has the idol, he doesn't get him out of the game. He gets Aubrey out of the game. Fine, but the idol is gone. Right. But then they just, you know, put it somewhere else and and Neil is still around. And Neil is the one that he and Liz were worried about. He's the snake in ice cream pants. You know, he's the one that they talked about saying that okay. they felt he was going to be a problem down the road. So you're saying the best case scenario is that Peter and Liz are able to blindside Neil and get him out of the game with his idol, as opposed to getting Neil to flush the idol and getting Aubrey out of the game and Neil's still there. Right. I mean, why? If, if your target is Neil, mm -hmm. why are you telling Neil, hey, you're my target and your plan's not going to work? <laughs> yeah. So the thing about all of that is, though, that Neil and Aubrey still have to cast their two votes in the 2-2-2 uh, two, two, two vote split. And at that point, it's also like if they know where Joe and Debbie's votes are going to go and you're calling out Neil, why wouldn't Neil and Aubrey pile their votes on to where the Joe and Debbie votes are going? Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. So that's even that makes it even worse. I mean, Peter lays out his plan and tells you, here's how to stop me, mm -hmm. essentially. And it just blows my mind that that he did that. And again, the other possibility is that maybe Neil and Peter are supposedly in on it and they're doing theater because that's what they came up with as the fake plan to throw Joe and Debbie off the scent, even though both of them know that they're betraying the other one. They're still going forward with this fake plan as to not tip off the other, that they're actually betraying the other one. So you're saying, let me make sure I have this right. You're saying that 
Liz and Peter told Neil and Aubrey, vote out Joe or Debbie, and we're going to raise a ruckus here to make it look like we're fighting, but it's just a distraction so that you can vote out one of those old people. I'm not saying that that's what I'm just saying that that is also a possibility of something that could have happened, which could explain why that they were having that conversation at tribal council. I guess it could have happened that way, at least in Peter's mind, but no way in Neil's mind. Mm -hmm. Everything there seemed very real. There's Um, lots of layers. Everything could have been surface. Everything could have been theater. Uh, It could have been that, you know, where Peter is trying to throw Neil off the scent or get him to flush the idol. So, again, these are all the kinds of things that we will find out eventually when we do exit press with these people that are involved in this scenario. Obviously, Liz is blindsided. She doesn't know. Right. Well, those aren't canon anyway, you know, so. (laughs) Yeah, but we would at least, it's as canon as a Twitter press conference. Hey, 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 don't be... uh, don't be dissing my Twitter press conferences here. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, obviously, you know, all of this is kind of moot because Peter and Liz's plan, like I said, it was screwed from the start. You know, they were the only two who walked in there thinking that was the plan. Mm-hmm. But if the if we go with the idea that Peter was just being as egotistical and brash as he appeared to be on the show, okay? And if the foursome, the other foursome, hadn't already been in sync with each other on the plan to vote out Liz, that whole whatever it was from Peter could have made them consider a change. Now, maybe it's not too likely because, you know, we've talked about it before. Vote changes at tribal council don't happen very often, but it still was an unnecessary risk. And again, I know we've been talking about Peter. It was almost all Peter doing the talking. But we've seen players pay the price for a partner's misdeeds before. Liz helped feed the beast by self-reinforcing the ego. It didn't end up mattering because the others had already turned on them. But I just see that as a symptom of the overall problem that the Liz and Peter duo had. Okay. Rule number three is be flexible. Unlike your fingers, was (laughs) Liz able to be flexible? Yeah, I don't think she showed us much in the way of flexibility. (laughs) You know, as we discussed, she paired up with Peter and they tried to steamroll the tribe into doing their bidding rather than listening to what the other players actually wanted. But as this rule says, you need to have your finger on the pulse of every member of the tribe so you can be sure to go with the majority. Liz thought she knew what was going on, but we've already talked about how wrong she was there. In her defense... She didn't really have much time to show us if she was able to follow this rule in the longer term, such as what might have happened if Peter had been voted out first instead of her. But from what we did see, no, not very flexible. Rule number four is don't let your emotions control you. What about Liz and her emotions? I don't think we saw anything that would indicate Liz was letting her emotions control her. I would say, if anything, it was the opposite. She appeared to be the overly analytical type who didn't do well with human interactions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I doubt that's truly her personality, but that's what we saw. So whatever her actual personality is, she was okay with this rule. Yeah, she seemed very eager to work with Debbie when the opportunity presented itself. I don't think that her emotions were controlling her. And again, probably to her detriment, she wasn't able to really connect with Aubrey, who is very tapped into her emotions in terms of how she's interacting with people. And there was just a disconnect there. Yeah, and it's not like she hated Neil and that's why she was targeting him. It was for game reasons. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, another thing, it wasn't allowing her emotions to control her. Okay, rule number five is pretend to be nice, play the social game, keep your politics and controversial beliefs to yourself. Did Liz have any controversial beliefs that got her into trouble? Uh, maybe the belief that she could treat the water using a charcoal filter, you know, that, that book learning. Um, that was controversial. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but I, I think Liz's social game overall suffered due to the way others perceived her as being too close to Peter and locked up in their own little schemey world. Uh, you know, because of that, we heard things like Debbie telling Joe, she's a freaking prima donna who bitches or knows everything. And, you know, Joe complaining about that book learning and her uh, science experiments. He you didn't know. care for it. No, no. Now, personally, I think bringing, you know, scientific knowledge to the game would be great, but it has to be paired up with the ability to deal with the other people socially. Mm -hmm. Even in the eight things to know about Liz on CBS.com. So she must have been a little bit more interesting than Jennifer because she got eight things to know instead of seven. Yeah. Um, she admitted that she did a lot of things wrong socially. She tried too hard to act the way people wanted her to act rather than just being herself. So that may be part of a topic you've discussed multiple times, trying too hard to live up to your tribal name. Did Liz play the social game enough? Well, you know, once again, being partnered with Peter certainly didn't help matters. And really, again, to look at Peter, he said that as an ER doctor, he's a professional in social interaction. Mm -hmm. Now, several of his tribe mates seem to, to be amused by this. And I also found it funny since most of the comments about ER doctors pregame were that they tend to be kind of jerky. And honestly, I don't necessarily want an ER doctor who's an expert in social interaction. I want one who can fix my emergency problem quickly and accurately. If I want a doctor for social interaction, I'll go to a psychiatrist. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, once again, that's Peter. We're talking about Liz, but the two of them had formed such a tight duo that it's hard to separate them in some cases. But Liz did have her own issues in this area. However, I think that they were made worse by her tight alliance with Peter. So then let's talk about rule number six, which is don't be too much of a threat. We talked a lot about in the preseason, was Liz going to be seen as too much of a threat? You have this woman who's here on the Brains tribe. Are people going to take a look at her and say, oh my God, we have to be worried about her coming out of the Brains tribe as opposed to somebody like Anna, who seems to be also very analytical, but she's on the beauty tribe. Would she have an easier road than Liz was going to have in the brains tribe? Yeah, I think Anna is definitely in a better place uh, besides the fact that she's still in the game and Liz isn't. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, just to start, Anna was put in a better place in that, like we were just talking about, she's not expected to act in any certain manner the way Liz was. And Liz was trying to live up to that. But just overall as a threat, certainly the duo of Liz and Peter were obviously direct threats to Neil and Aubrey mm -hmm. and more indirect threats to Debbie and Joe, at least from their point of view. Now I do have to say I was amused when watching the show because you had Liz and Peter talking about keeping Debbie and Joe around for a while as goats. And at the same time, Debbie talked about knowing that she was being lied to and wanting them gone. If she had actually gone along with the King and Queen's plan, mm -hmm. it was possible she could have actually been taken quite far in the game, presuming everything had gone right through a swap and a merge and everything else. Yeah. 
But I do think the new Brains foursome will end up being tighter and more loyal than Peter and Liz would have been to Debbie and Joe anyway. Mm -hmm. But no matter what things might have been like, the fact is that the other four saw Liz and Peter as threats. And at least Neil and Aubrey were certainly correct. So that brings us to the question of, was Liz more of a threat than Peter? It's hard to say. From a threat perspective, it's possible the other tribe members felt Peter would be easier to get rid of later because he was, shall we say, less charming than Liz. Mm -hmm. And even Liz herself said she saw Peter as something of a shield if they move forward together. So it's quite possible the others felt in a similar way. But even if the other four saw both Peter and Liz as equally threatening, we already know there was a variety of other reasons to pick Liz. And there might be one more as we move to rule seven. And rule number seven, of course, is vote out the weak, then the strong, then the weak, then the strong. Yeah. At tribal council, Neil said, I think we'll go forward as a stronger tribe. Now, what stronger means will be interpreted later. So I'd like to thank Neil for sending me up to interpret it now. Mm hmm. Uh, at this very early stage, the tribe should be voting out a weak player. As we discussed last week, this can have two meanings, someone who will hurt your chances and challenges or who will cause divisions in the tribe that weakens the overall group dynamic. I would say both Peter and Liz fell into the second category. So if you're looking for a tiebreaker, who is weaker in challenges? Several tribe members answered this for us. Joe and Debbie talked about how they wanted to keep Peter for challenges. And on Twitter, uh, Neil also said he wanted Peter's pretty muscles for challenges. Whoa. Yeah. Also, there's a point that wasn't discussed on the show, but I have to wonder if it played a role. Word on the Survivor Street is that Liz was pretty sick after getting voted out and actually had to be medevaced from Ponderosa a few days later. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure how that plays into your medevac draft with Josh, so I'll let you guys hash that out. Yeah, we touched on it, and that does not count. You do not get points for any future people that, after they are medevaced out of Ponderosa, no, that does not count. Okay. Does I'm not count, like a Kelly <laughs> Wentworth vote at Tribal Council. <laughs> I'm glad you guys uh, you ironed that out. But I have to think it's possible that she was starting to show signs of that even while she was still in the game causing her to potentially be weaker in challenges. If that was indeed the case, then maybe Liz was right when she said, I think losing today was a blessing in disguise. All right, then we get to our appendices. The first one is do whatever it takes to get idols. The Brains Tribe idol has not been discovered. We saw no signs that Liz was searching for the idol. Have you uncovered anything that leads you to believe Liz was out there as part of the idol search party? No, I would say it's clear that some searching had been going on because both groups decided to split their vote just in case. If I had to guess, I would say Liz and Peter didn't make it a huge priority to go find the idol because they already thought Neil had it. And, you know, they thought they were controlling everything anyway. So if Neil has it in his pocket, why expend a lot of energy? And, you know, you're controlling the votes. So who cares? Do you think that's a good idea that if you don't have the idol, act like you have the idol because it will make people search for it less? As long as you're a better actor than Keith Nail. <laughs> well, he had a fake idol. So, but it's almost like <laughs> then if you have to act like you have the idol, you can't go out and search for the idol. 
Right, right. And I, that's what they said was that he had cut down on his searching or wandering away from camp and was pretty much not doing it anymore. Now, I don't know if that was done on purpose or if, you know, as days go by, it gets a little tiring, you know, when you're not getting a whole lot of food in you. In that he was just, you know, done with the whole idea of it and was too tired to go look. And they interpreted that as, oh, look, he's already found it. Then the last appendix has to do with the jury phase. In my exit interview with Liz, she talked about how Stephen and her actually worked quite a bit on the jury phase. Yeah. And again, that falls into thinking a little too far ahead. It's, I mean, I know it's good to identify who your potential goats may be. And from their standpoint, you know, both of them were talking about Debbie and Joe as good goats, but there's a lot of game left. And to base your voting right now on that idea, it's just moving a little too soon. What's the big picture on Liz? Well, in the words of Peter, although Liz and I are good looking people and we have great smiles, we're actually out for blood. And I think this quote sums up a lot of the problems of that duo. They both put themselves on pedestals high above their tribe mates, showing that they thought they were better than the other four. This clearly was not kept to just talking to each other in confessionals because several of the other players commented on it. Yes, they were out for blood. They were scheming and plotting, but they weren't nearly as good at it as they thought comparatively to the rest of the tribe, in part because they were too open about being a solid pair who was out to get everyone else. They plotted and schemed too much, they did it openly, and they forgot to take the social game into account. In all of these issues, I've been saying they a lot, because it applied to both the erstwhile king and queen, Peter and Liz. So what was the tiebreaker? Liz was weaker in challenges, and also rubbed people the wrong way with her book learning and prima donna attitude. At least that's how several... Put that in quotes. Put that. Put quotes around that prima donna <laughs> That's attitude. right. That's right. Um... At least that's how several of the other players saw things. Mm -hmm. So what happens? The pawns got together and took out the queen. If Liz had been voted out solely because Peter acted like a jerk, she could have said, thanks, Obama. (laughs) But it wasn't just that. (laughs) The combination of the way she and Peter acted as a duo, along with the way others perceived her specifically, explains why Liz lost. Liz is gone. We have a big episode coming up. Jeff Probst is calling it the most dramatic episode they've ever done in the show's history. We normally look at the strategy and where the pieces on the chessboard are going into this next episode, but this is a very difficult task this week, David, to prognosticate how everything is going to fall into line with this potential medical evacuation on the horizon. Yeah, I agree. I guess the first question is, do we think there will be a tribal council as well as a medevac? Hmm. I mean, we've seen it before where there's both. I would say going back to Joe Dowdle, I mean, I guess there's also been times where then teams go to tribal council, but they don't vote anybody out like we have had where, okay, you go to tribal council, but since somebody went out, then also, I believe also the, the Courtney Moon first episode of survivor one world i believe that they did that i could be wrong about that i don't really remember uh but i'm trying to think of times where we had a medical evacuation and didn't also vote somebody out there's not many i mean joe dowdle comes to mind in that episode but i think for the most part when we evacuate we also vote somebody right so i think we we 
do have something to talk about in that regard. But as far as the medevac, you know, there is a CBS preview for this week's episode that shows the flurry of medical activity. I watched it. I saw one obvious person who receives medical attention, though I've been told that there are two obvious people. I guess it wasn't as obvious to me, and I'm not one to freeze frame through to pick up spoilers. In any case, I'd say if there were two who were obvious, that likely means neither of those two will be leaving. And we saw several others get upset about the situation, so we know it's not them either. Although, to be fair, Ty might have been upset because he accidentally stepped on an ant. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I, I don't think we can really predict, therefore, who is going to get medevaced. Uh, without going through the different, you know, spoilers that we might have picked up in the CBS promo. Okay, so then should we just ignore the medical evacuations and just talk simply who do we think is going to be voted out next? Yeah, I think so. But I do think I want to get a jump on a question that I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be discussing, which is, in the words of Penner, should Survivor be trying to kill the players like this? Mm-hmm. shouldn't they have known ahead of time that something like this could happen? And I, I may be jumping the gun since we don't know exactly what goes down, but it does seem that several players go down. And I think that question will be out there after this week's episode airs. Okay. So, yeah, just I think everyone should keep that in mind as we're watching and... I'm sure it'll be discussed in the coming week, but yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about it. But in terms of the show, this is the 31st season that they're filming. And it does look like the issue is going to be with this heat in terms of the challenges that they're doing. They come up with the ideas for the challenges way beforehand. I I think that's asking a lot to say, okay, we shouldn't do this challenge in this location because of these conditions when they don't exactly know. If you want to say for Survivor Second Chance after they had a season to sort of watch how things were going to play out, but if it was just that they end up with a couple of days of blistering heat and they don't realize, I mean, they've run almost every challenge in really intense conditions to this point and haven't had these issues. So I think that's asking for a lot of foresight. Well, don't they normally have people run the challenges before the actual contestants do? Yeah, the dream team. Dream team. So like I said, I know we're jumping the gun a little bit here, but did the dream team do it in different conditions? Were they not as dehydrated? Well, I would hope they're not as dehydrated as the players. So maybe that's the situation. That they, yeah. Know. Again, we'll have right. lots of time to figure about right. this stuff coming out of this episode. All right. So then if we're going to just take a look at the tribes, where do you think the next vote off is coming? Well, this past episode turned out well for my winner pick, Neil. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, and contrary to what you and Steven said during know-it-alls before we had the additional information, I do think the brains foursome could stick together well going forward and be loyal to one another. That foursome didn't just come together as a voting block or, <laughs> or unit yeah, or two voting units uh, to get rid of Liz this time. I'd say they are a four person alliance. Mm-hmm. And also in one of this week's podcasts, there was talk of brains maybe throwing a challenge to get rid of Peter. But I don't think that's going to be the case at all. As we discussed earlier, one reason to vote out Liz was so they could keep Peter first challenge strength. As it turns out, they may need him for medical help during the challenge as well. But with that said, he's clearly getting the boot if Brains ends up at tribal council again. Okay. 
on Braun. You don't think there's any chance that potentially he ends up falling in with Debbie and Joe? And I talked about how I thought that if the two pairs, either pair had a chance to get in with Peter, I felt like it would be more likely that it was Debbie and Joe. Not after the way he acted in tribal council, especially. I mean, if if Debbie got upset with Liz telling her what to do before and then Peter puts on that whole show at tribal council, well, our plan's going to work. We have everything thought out. You know, I, yeah. I just don't see how she and Joe are ever going to fall in with him. OK, so over on Braun. I will say it certainly looks like you would have been right with your prediction uh, for this week if they had lost again. Alicia really is squarely on the bottom of that tribe. She even had a secret scene where she said she knows the whole tribe is against her and saying bad things about her, but she won't give up. Well, clearly her only hope is a swap. She has to make it that far. And then we have beauty. So far, uh, the way I see it, this tribe has the only unfulfilled storyline. And, I, you know, I hate to cross over into Josh's territory there with storylines. But, but uh, you know, Nick put himself even further on the outs with the rest of his tribe again by ignoring Ty's sadness at the chicken killing and, <laughs> you know, not faking his emotions well, even as he told us that he knew he had to fake his emotions. So what happened? The women pulled in Caleb as an apparently solid number four. If they go to tribal council, it looks like Nick is in trouble. It's Nick. It's Peter. It's Alicia. Those are your three chalk picks for the next boot of Survivor. Right. Now, any of that could be changed by the medevac, but that's the way I see it now. And just considering the way the storytelling is going, again, you know, stepping on Josh's toes a little, I'm going to predict beauty finally goes to tribal council, meaning blogger Nick is gone. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think that I would agree on those chalk picks all the way around. I think that I give Peter a little bit more of a chance to be able to get like, I don't think it's a 0% chance that he is able to survive this next tribal council. If they go, I would say I'd give him maybe like a 15% chance to be out of it. But I think that the real key thing is going to be based on it looks like there is somebody who's clearly at the bottom of each of these tribes. Now, if we pull any given person out of the game, how does that affect things? Like, for instance, in the Braun tribe, is there somebody that you could remove where maybe Sydney, like if Jason or Scott goes out, are Sydney and Alicia able to be a twosome that's able to get rid of the other guy that's left or in one of these other tribes if hypothetically if neil is the person that goes out does that increase peter's chances to stay in the game so how will whatever puzzle piece we take out how does that going to affect each of these tribal councils where it seems like there's a clear person at the bottom going into this yeah, that's a, that's a good point, uh, depending on who goes. Now, that does bring up something that just occurred to me and maybe should have occurred earlier when we were talking about it. So someone or multiple people collapse while doing a challenge. What happens? They stop the challenge. They're medevacking someone out. Do they restart the challenge so they know who wins and loses? Uh, it's a good question. I'm trying to think of exactly how this has gone down in the past. In the Russell Swan medical evacuation, they ultimately stopped the challenge. 
they eliminated Russell Swan and they took him away. And then they told both the tribes to come to tribal council. And then at tribal council, Jeff Probst let them know, hey, just so you know that we're not going to have Russell Swan anymore. We're not voting anybody out tonight. So in the past, I think that's really the big one. The Courtney Moon thing also happened during a challenge. They stopped the challenge and then they awarded the challenge to the men because the women couldn't finish it. But then they gave the men the opportunity to like, uh, let's let's play out the rest of the challenge and determine if your immunity is going to go up for grabs. Then uh, the men said they didn't want to do that. So I think that in the past we have seen both a continuation of the challenge and then also a, hey, stop the challenge right here and then just come to tribal council. Yeah, I can't imagine if they have three people going down and they have all that medical activity that we saw, especially if it ends in a medevac where, you know, at least as dramatic as the commercial makes it out to seem, it, you know, could be something fairly serious. I can't imagine uh, Jeff Probst then says, okay, let's go. We're restarting. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's possible yeah. all that happens after the challenge is over. Okay. So but, a lot of intrigue going into this Wednesday. Survivor. Right, right. All right. So we'll see how it all plays out. David, do you have a hashtag for this? episode? I, I could think of three different possibilities here. So we got, what do you uh, got? book learning, uh, pretty muscles or king and queen. Uh, I like pretty muscles. Pretty muscles. All right. Neil will be so happy. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Give some love to Neil. All right. Of course, you can follow David Bloomberg on Twitter at David Bloomberg. Get a front row seat for any of his press <laughs> conferences that he's going to be doing on Twitter as we the weeks uh, go along. And then, of course, next week, David will be back to talk about why certain people lost or certain people got medevac. What do we do for a medical evacuation? I think the answer to why they got medevac is usually pretty clear. <laughs> not always. Not always. Not always. Not always. Okay, so uh, we will do a uh, a full accounting of what goes on this Wednesday night. Of course, uh, don't miss our Survivor Know-It-Alls coverage, which is going to be kicking off at 9.15 p.m. Eastern Time. Aris is scheduled to join me for the episode recap as well, plus uh, plenty of other stuff going on between Big Brother Canada, The Amazing Race, and then all the House of Cards and everything happening on Post Show Recap. So make sure you don't miss any of it when uh, you, A, follow me on Twitter at Rob Sisternino, or B, subscribe to Rob Has a Podcast. Go to robhasawebsite.com slash iTunes. David, anything else? No, I think we've covered it all. All right. Looking forward to seeing how it all plays out in the most dramatic episode of Survivor (laughs) of all time, according to Jeff Probst, coming into Wednesday. David, do you think that this is hyperbolic or will live up to the hype? No, Jeff would never be hyperbolic. Never. Well, there was almost no hyperbole coming into this season, other than it being the most gruesome season of all time. But the expectations were low. We've been beating expectations. Let's see what happens on Wednesday. All right. Enjoy the show, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care.